U.S. Navy History arriving. Welcome back to the U.S. Navy History Podcast. I am Dale, and I am joined by Christoph, who needs to work on his nautical terminology. What was it that hey. they claimed about you, about what you called the ship's wheel? Uh, hey, Captain. Nice to be here. Uh, let me answer your criticisms in the order with which you provided them. So, hello. Uh, good to be here. And the criticism was, I called it the big spinny thing, because everybody knows that wheels spin. And I did connect it with the context of, it controls the ship. How many spinny things control the ship on a ship? A lot of spinny things. But how many are big? A lot. Go down to mm. the main engine room and see how big those reduction gears are. Okay. Would you want to put your hands on those gears? No. That okay. So I, well, then it's implied I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the thing you put your hands on and spin. And also, that's why I'm here to help educate myself and the listener about proper nautical and navy terms and ideas. The main sea valves down in the engine room are bigger than the ship's wheel and you can put your hands on them do they turn yes control the ship if those are closed while we're underway the engines will burn up so yes they control the ship yes okay anything we'll see any piece of machinery controls the ship yes to some degree and you know what i thank you for this education at the top of the episode so now everybody's like okay i've learned a lot now where are we going to go from here? So, I ask you, what's next besides making fun of me calling the ship's wheel the big turny thing? Oh, how about Halloween? Oh, today is our Halloween special, so we're going to talk about ghost stories and things to that nature. How's that sound? That sounds intriguing, I'll tell you. I think I've heard a lot of stories in passing about seeing ghost ships and whatnot on the high seas, but, you know, I I don't know if that's accurate or a made-up tale or, or what have you, Or, but I think that's why we're here today, is to explore what is, so I, I'm excited to hear what you've got for us. All right, so I, I take it you're ready to get underway? Well, if you have any more constructive suggestions for how I speak or how I refer to things, I'm willing to accept those so we can just get all that out of the way now. Or you can pepper it in through the episode, and I'm, I'm fine with that too. So well, beyond that, yes, I'm ready. Well, the only other one has to be done in private. That's not for public oh. consumption. Oop. Well, you know what? I appreciate your discretion. You're welcome. So, the allure of U.S. Navy ghost stories has been around for generations. It's captivated the imagination of sailors and the landlubbers alike. So, first, we're going to delve into the origins of these tales and explore some early accounts that set the stage for the haunting stories that we know of today. So, sailors have had a profound and unique relationship with the sea. 
And the history of the U.S. Navy, like that of the navies around the world, is deeply intertwined with legends, superstitions, and maritime folklore. This rich tapestry of beliefs and traditions has been an integral part of marine time culture for centuries. So we're going to go over some key points that illustrate just how superstitions and folklore have played a significant role in the lives of sailors. So sailors, especially in earlier centuries, were isolated from the rest of society for extended periods. This isolation, coupled with vast, unpredictable, and often dangerous nature of the sea itself, contributed to a heightened sense of vulnerability and superstition. In the absence of immediate explanations for natural phenomena, sailors turned to superstition to cope with the unknown. The ocean has always been a place of mystery and danger. Its vastness and unpredictability has given rise to superstitions about sea monsters, mermaids, and other mystical creatures. Sailors would sometimes attribute strange phenomena like unusual weather patterns, or the appearance of strange animals to the supernatural beings. So speaking of weather, weather is of paramount importance to sailors. Many superstitions revolve around predicting and influencing the weather. For example, the notion of whistling on a ship was considered bad luck because it was believed to summon strong winds. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah? I've seen... I've seen many an Old Spice commercial, and there's always whistling. And it's a sailor doing it. It's not like some rando. Are you telling me that that is bad luck, and he should not be doing that? Historically speaking. Historically speaking, absolutely. My world is rocked. And that is why Old Spice is not number one. Hmm. Is there a number one deodorant for sailors assuming sailors use deodorant back in this day that we're talking about right now they didn't use it ah uh, okay makes sense okay I, i'm glad we cleared that up see we're we're unlocking a lot of we're, we're destroying a lot of misconceptions i think and that's helpful okay so another thing that they considered bad luck was to rename a ship or change its name because the vessel had its own identity and renaming it could anger the sea gods. What about reusing a name? Because I've seen a couple of reuses, right? When they right. rechristen ships or have a new version of a ship, they might use the same name. That's Is that a big deal? That is actually a huge honor. Okay. I didn't know if, well, okay, that's important to know. Nice. That name is, is so storied that you want to bring it forward into the current day night. It's just like with the U.S. Navy, how the name Enterprise has spanned the generations because it has been a very influential name in the Navy. It has been on a number of different boats going from the American Revolution when it was first captured from the British to the one that they are building right now. And one of our space shuttles. And a space shuttle as well, yes. Interesting. I think that's cool. Yeah, renaming a ship, I can see how that would be very different. It's like, th th this name is so terrible, we need to, to ditch it as soon as possible. But the sea gods, as we all know, look disfavorably upon that. That's why you just sink the boat and get yourself a new one. So ghost ships 
The concept of ghost ships, which are vessels that sail the seas crewed by the dead, is a reoccurring theme in maritime folklore. Stories of encountering these spectral ships, such as the Flying Dutchman, have been passed down through the generations. Sailors have also engaged in various rituals and superstitions to protect themselves from harm, such as tossing coins into the sea for good luck or touching certain objects, or like a piece of wood, before getting underway on a voyage. These were common practices believed to ensure safe passage. There are also animal superstitions. Animals, both real and mythical, were often central to maritime folklore. For example, dolphins were considered a good omen, while certain birds were seen as harbingers of bad luck. For instance, the albatross. It was considered a bird of ill omen, as it was famously depicted in the Samuel Taylor's Coolidge's The Rhyme of Ancient Mariner. Hmm. Sailors often adorned themselves with tattoos as well, and this held personal and superstitious significance. These tattoos included symbols like anchors or swallows, believed to protect the wearer from harm and to ensure a safe return home. That's cool. I know back in the day, the only folks that had tattoos were dudes in the Navy and motorcycle gang toughs. Clubs. Club. And now, club. of course, it's you're gonna get us. You're gonna get us so much trouble. They're clubs. Uh, that's what I said. Clubs. <laughs> Organizations of fine repute. So anyway, back in the day, motorcycle dudes, sailors, those are the only ones with tattoos. And now everybody's got a tattoo. But I think it's fascinating that there's a history that, at least for sailors, goes back centuries. Yeah. Many. Sailors also held personal beliefs and rituals to protect themselves during their voyages. These might include carrying a lucky charm or practicing certain routines for good fortune. So overall, superstitious and maritime folklore provided a sense of control and comfort in an environment filled with uncertainty. You know, some of these beliefs may seem irrational today, and they are irrational considered the way we look at things today. But they reflect on the unique psychological and emotional experiences of sailors who face the challenges and dangers of the open sea. These traditions, stories, and superstitions have left an enduring mark on naval history and continue to be remembered and celebrated as part of the sailors' enduring connection to the sea. You know, back to the, the part about bad luck for renaming a ship, I had heard a story where I believe it was an admiral's wife that was christening a ship she was trying to break the champagne bottle on the ship. She was trying to do it, couldn't quite do it, and when she broke it, she said, I, I can't quite get it. And so that was the name of the ship because it was christened the I can't quite get it. And I thought that was ridiculous at the time because they could just easily rename the ship, but now you've given me the fuller context of, no, 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 we don't rename ships. Yeah. So be careful, y'all. Get yourself an easily breakable glass bottle. <laughs> so, the Age of Sail, this spanned from the 16th to mid-19th century. And as we mentioned before, it's a time where the sailors faced immense challenges and dangers while navigating the world's oceans. Because of the isolation, the harsh conditions, and, you know, just the treacherous nature of 
the the sailing. So here are a few stories from the era. We have the Flying Dutchman. This was perhaps, or is, this is perhaps the most famous ghost ship in maritime folklore. The legend of the Flying Dutchman has been passed down through generations. It is said to be the spectral vessel of a Dutch captain named Van der Decken, who, in a fit of stubbornness, swore to round the Cape of Good Hope in the face of a ferocious storm. Cursed by his defiance, he and his ship were condemned to sail the seas for eternity. Sailors believed that sighting the Flying Dutchman was an ill omen, often foretelling disaster or death. So if you see the Flying Dutchman, you're done. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a real bummer. So what happens if, let's say theoretically, theoretically. you're on a ship. Yes. And three guys see the Flying Dutchman out of 70. And they're all looking in the same direction. Three see them. 67 don't. Hopefully my math is right there. Uh, what, what would befall these three, traditionally speaking? Traditionally speaking? Theoretically speaking? Yeah, it's all academic. All academic. Well, let's say if they tell their shipmates what they saw, more than likely the three would be thrown overboard. Ah. We don't want those, that juju on our boat. Okay. And if I would, that's, that's good to know. I think that's, a, that's when knowing glances probably became a thing. It's just kind of, huh? Did you see that? If they kept it to themselves, they would probably be very frightened. And that's about it. Trouble could befall them also. Tr we'll see. Trouble can befall anybody out on the, wa on, out on the water. Yes, that's, that's true. So now, but particularly them, because they saw the ship. Yes, they're the ones that need to be thrown overboard or you know terrified for the rest of the voyage. So let's. That brings us to the Phantom Ship of New Haven. In the 17th century, the Connecticut coast was the setting for a chilling tale of the Phantom Ship of New Haven. It was believed to be a ghostly vision of a ship that appeared just offshore shrouded in an eerie glowing light. This spectral ship was said to bring an otherworldly crew of the damned. Those who witnessed the apparition were often filled with dread, fearing it was an omen of death or disaster. That's interesting. I mean, Connecticut, the colony has been around probably from what, the late 1600s, I imagine? Maybe early 1700s? So, uh, Connecticut was founded in 1663. Wow. Uh, sorry, no disrespect, Connecticut listeners. I didn't know how old your your place was. That's interesting. I, I guess I don't really associate ghost ships and whatnot with New England as much. For some reason, the Caribbean or the open sea. But yeah, that's really fascinating. So the Bell of the Atlantic. The... Ship Atlantic was a famous clipper built in the mid-1800s and was renowned for its speed and beauty. However, during a transatlantic voyage, the ship mysteriously vanished, never to be seen again. It was rumored that the ship's bell continued to ring beneath the waves, haunting sailors who claimed to hear it from the deep. 
This eerie tale persisted among sailors who believed that the ship and its crew were forever trapped beneath the ocean. That's freaky. <laughs> That's I was just I mean, just thinking of that tale, you just you're on the open scene, you hear the the ring of a bell. I don't like that. <laughs> but speaking of which, I don't know if you're going to get there or not, and forgive me for jumping ahead if that's the case. Davy Jones' locker. I know that's a metaphor for where you don't want to sleep. Yeah. Who was Davy Jones? Davy Jones' locker is a metaphor for the oceanic abyss. It's the final resting place of drowned sailors and travelers. Uh, the origins of the name of Davy Jones... The Sailor's Devil are really not clear. There is a 19th century dictionary tracing Davy Jones to a ghost of Jonah. Oh. There are other nautical superstitions being put forth, which included an incompetent sailor or a pub owner who kidnapped sailors. So not the lead singer of the Monkees? No. Okay. It's a different Davy Jones. Yes. The first appearance of Davy Jones's locker was 1726 in the book called The Four Years of Voyages of Captain George Roberts by Daniel Defoe. So the cursed of the cursed crew. The notion of cursed crews or ships haunted by vengeful spirits was prevalent in the Age of Sail. Stories abounded of captains and sailors who committed heinous acts and were subsequently haunted by the restless spirit of those they wronged. These stories often served as a cautionary tale, reminding trailers to treat their comrades with respect and decency. So HMS Plumper. In the early 19th century, the British Navy vessel HMS Plumper sailed in the treacherous waters of the Pacific Northwest. The crew reported numerous eerie occurrences from phantom footsteps on deck to ghostly apparitions in the mist. These encounters led many to believe that the ship was haunted by the spirits of indigenous people who had died in conflict with the British. I know in the Age of Sail, at least definitely toward the beginning and for the majority of it, the English had a, a dominant navy. Like they probably, of any nation ruled the waves uh is it fair to say that most of these stories or superstitions or however you want to classify them were they british in origin well i mean a lot every country is going to have their own different different stories the ones we're going to mostly know about are going to be british in origin and then also american because okay. that is the you know background flavor of this podcast well that's the background <laughs> of the u.s is you know british domination with uh before everybody else started coming okay and he also since because british dominated the seas before america was formed and then after that america dominated the seas you're going to get more of an english and american flavor to the stories okay so the tales from the age of sail reflect the intense psychological emotional experience of sailors who faced isolation the harsh conditions and the danger of the sea superstitions and ghostly legends served as a means to make sense of the unknown and to find comfort in the face of these challenges 
While modern technology and science has demystified many aspects of the sea, which, you know, some could say that that's a bad thing, these stories yeah. continue to be part of maritime culture and the rich history of seafaring. Oh, speaking of that, I was just telling my kids about the Bermuda Triangle, and they had no idea, like they had never heard of the Bermuda Triangle, which shocked me. Because when I was younger, it was such a humongous deal. Like it was where you don't go and ships get lost and planes going in there, you know, it's they're taking fate into their hands. And it was this constant source of fascination for me as a child, and it was in the zeitgeist. Like, people knew about it. Mm -hmm. Today, people don't seem to know about it that much. Like, we were watching a movie, and they're like, what's that? I'm like, you don't know the Bermuda Triangle? And to your point, do you think a lot of this, like, GPS navigation and more advanced mapping and guidance systems that we have demystifying the sea, do you think that's kind of getting rid of such, I don't know what you'd call that, the mythos of that area? No, okay. not at all. Even in modern times, boats, planes just disappear. Nobody knows why or how, even today. Okay. I mean, what was it? That's a good update. Okay. I'll update my kids. <laughs> even a couple of years ago, there was a ghost ship that just appeared off of England coast, I believe. It was like a a freighter, an abandoned freighter, and it grounded itself, I think, right off the coast of, somewhere off the coast of England. That's wild. So, yeah, stuff's still happening today. Okay. Now, the U.S. Navy's history is marked by several early documented ghostly encounters, particularly during the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812. And these encounters have become a part of naval lore and continue to be discussed and celebrated in maritime circles. And I have a few examples for you. The haunting of the USS Queen Mary. This was 1776. So during the Revolutionary War, the Continental Navy, which was the forerunner of the U.S. Navy, had its share of supernatural experiences. One of the most famous instances occurred aboard the USS Queen Mary. As the ship was anchored offshore the coast of Delaware in 1776, sailors and officers reported seeing the ghostly apparition of the ship's deceased former captain, Captain Fanning. The phantom captain allegedly warned the crew of an impending attack by British forces, and this enabled them to prepare for the assault and to thwart the enemy's plans. That's awesome. Isn't it? Yeah, I mean... Say what you will about ghosts being creepy and scary and all they wanting to do is terrify you. It's nice to see that there are some that would help the cause of freedom. Yes, there are very many freedom-loving ghosts out there. You just got to find them. Yeah, I, I'm looking in the wrong places, I got to be honest with you. The ghost of the USS Hornet, this was during the War of 1812, this war brought with it a wave of eerie encounters. The USS Hornet, a U.S. Navy sloop commanded by Captain James Lawrence was known for its spectral sightings. According to legend, the ghostly apparitions of departed crew members, including Captain Lawrence himself, were said to appear during critical moments, providing guidance and support. This belief was particularly reinforced by the famous cry, Don't give up the ship shouted by Lawrence as he lay dying during the battle with the British frigate HMS Shannon. 
This battle cry remains a symbol of Navy valor to this day. Wow. That's cool. I don't know. That's neat. Uh, another one during the War of 1812 is the spirit of the USS Constellation. The USS Constellation was one of the first U.S. Navy frigates. It also it is also associated with ghostly encounters during the War of 1812. Sailors on board reported seeing apparitions of fallen comrades, often during times of intense combat. These sightings were believed to provide solace and courage to the living crew members, inspiring them to carry on with their duties and protect their vessel. I think there would be a split second of... What's the opposite of courage? Cowardice. Uh, terror. It's just like, you look over... And it's like, oh, there's Roger, who died moments ago, and he's there during this really intense fight. It's distracting and terrifying. But then I can see, like you said, it would ease into, the psychology would ease into, oh, he's here to help. I'm buffeted because even the dead want us to win. That's spectacular. As shown by their big smile and the thumbs up. That's... It's the traditional ghost message, yes. So, the Great Lakes ghost ships. The Great Lakes were a battleground during the War of 1812, and stories of phantom ships and ghostly encounters in the region persisted through the 19th century. Sailors and settlers reported seeing spectral ships, hearing the cries of lost crew members, and encountering eerie phenomena on the lakes, contributing to the lore of the Great Lakes ghost ships. There has to be like a visitor's guide of places to go in the United States with these sightings, and that is something I would be interested in in finding because this I, I would love to hear and see more about these ghost ships, these uh, apparitional ships. And then the second thought I have is the cries of the sailors like coming forth. What kind of cries are they? Are they victorious? Are they sad, morose? Hopefully they're not like super annoying, like that one crew member that just won't shut up. And now you're doomed for eternity to hear this crew member's rantings on, you know, the things that ranters talk about. Well, typically when one speaks about hearing the cries of the dead, it is the cries of them dying. Oh. Yeah. Oh, man. Now I feel very insensitive. I'm sorry. Yeah, you are. Okay. Well, I, I, we've cleared that up at least. Yes. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that what Halloween's all about? The cries of the dead? They take their forms and go door to door and take candy from people? Yeah, maybe. Some people do. That's true. So there's been numerous famous naval figures throughout history that have claimed to have witnessed supernatural events. Which, you know, add an air of credibility to the legends of ghostly encounters at sea. Their accounts have too been passed down through history and continue to intrigue and mystify. I have a few notable examples of this as well. For instance, Admiral Berkeley was a distinguished British naval officer. And he had an extraordinary experience during a sea voyage in the 19th century. He claimed to have seen the ghostly apparition of a former comrade, Admiral Sir Robert Calder, on board his ship. Calder, who was still alive at the time, was revealed to be engaged in a life-threatening battle thousands of miles away. This 
incident was documented in the official logs and has become a celebrated story in naval folklore. Wow. I certainly think there are components of this world we do not understand, and stories like that kind of help reinforce that. Mm-hmm. So, Admiral David Farragut, he was a prominent figure in the U.S. Navy during the American Civil War. It is said that during the Battle of Mobile Bay, he witnessed a mysterious woman dressed in white on board his flagship, the USS Hartford. The woman was often described as a lady in white, and her appearance was considered a harbinger of impending disaster. But despite the eerie sighting, Farragut famously declared, Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead, leading his fleet to victory in the battle. And of course, we have a episode about that battle and about that famous quote. You know, when you were talking about superstitions earlier, like types of birds and whatnot, I've heard that one of the superstitions also is that women, as passengers, women's redheads and priests, uh, no bueno. Mm-hmm. For, and so having a, a, a woman show up, I, and I presume with red hair because that would be even more frightening, not just because redheads aren't frightening, don't get me wrong, but from a superstition standpoint, no, no, I, I see your shocked face. It's not, I'm not, hold on, how do I start? Let me start over. <laughs> I imagine because of the superstitious element related to sailors that the woman probably had red hair because, you know, it makes it even more like, oh, you shouldn't be on my ship. This is a terrible harbinger. Not that women or redheads are bad. They're great. Yes, back in this time, women on board ship were considered bad luck. Admiral Ernest King. He was chief of naval operations during World War II and played a pivotal role in the Allied victory. According to accounts, King believed in the supernatural and claimed to have seen apparitions of deceased shipmates during his service. These experiences contributed to his deep interest in the paranormal and his support of supernatural research within the Navy. So was there a formalized research division in the Navy for that? or I guess you can support it. And they might even do it, but you may never hear about it because that may be something that the official Navy position is, oh, we don't do that. But then in the background, they're like, whoa, check this out. Yeah, it's probably going to be just like the whole UFO thing. Yeah. It's kept under wraps until, you know, somebody blows a whistle and they have to say, hey, yeah, we've been investigating ghosts. Right. <laughs> We're just waiting for that naval whistleblower on the, the ghost ships. Yes. And the... So, so any, anybody who's in that research field that is in the Navy, go ahead and blow that whistle. We want to know. Or join our Discord server and let us know. Yeah. And, you know. Blow the whistle to us. Just, right. We'll, Loop us in. We'll put it out there. Cool. We'll support you. And we'll keep you anonymous. Yes. Can do that. So Captain Edward Lowe, he was a notorious pirate who experienced ghostly encounters during his marauding days. He was anchored near Honduras, and Lowe and his crew were said to have seen ghostly ships, mysterious lights, and apparitions of the men they had killed. These eerie occurrences contributed to the superstitions paranoia among the pirate crew. 
So lastly, Commodore Sir George Collier. He was a British Royal Navy officer during the American Revolutionary War. He encountered a spectral event on board his ship, the HMS Ontario, in 1780. While sailing on Lake Ontario, he and his crew reported seeing a ship on fire in the distance. The crew believed it to be a British warship, but no such vessel was in the vicinity. The sighting remains an unsolved mystery and is often cited as a credible account of a ghostly encounter. That's wild. Mm -hmm. I mean, because something on fire especially would catch the attention of everybody. Yeah. And, and just, that's weird. I'm sure there are other occurrences. You know, I wonder if because the world we live in is very scientific or like rational in their uh, thinking where there's like only the material exists and the supernatural doesn't exist or what have you. If there are just as many occurrences today, but people are almost shamed into not admitting it or revealing it or, or what have you. Yeah. So would you like to move on to some more modern examples of oh man what a segue yes <laughs> i absolutely would okay well there is the uss cyclops and her disappearance during world war one that is one of the most enduring and perplexing naval mysteries in history while it's not a traditional ghost story it has contributed significantly to the aura and intrigue and speculation surrounding the bermuda triangle ah so the USS Cyclops AC-4 was a Proteus-class collier ship. It was primarily used for transporting coal. In March of 1918, during the height of World War I, the Cyclops set sail from Bahia, Brazil, heading for Baltimore, Maryland, with a crew of 309 and a cargo of manganese ore. Oh. However... The ship and all those on board mysteriously vanished without a trace. The USS Cyclops was last heard from on March 4th, 1918, when it radioed its position, reporting normal conditions. It was expected to reach Baltimore by March 13th, but it never arrived. Extensive search and rescue efforts were launched, but no debris, wreckage, or survivors were ever found. The ship's vanishing was sudden and complete leading to various theories and speculations. The disappearance of the USS Cyclops occurred within the area known as the Bermuda Triangle. This is a loosely defined region in the western part of the North Atlantic Ocean. The Bermuda Triangle has been the subject of numerous theories and myths surrounding strange and unexplained occurrences at sea. While the USS Cyclops' disappearance predates the widespread recognition of the Bermuda Triangle's reputation, it played a crucial role in cementing the area's mystique. The incident, along with other maritime and aviation disappearances of the region, has fueled speculation about extraterrestrial involvement, underwater anomalies, and supernatural occurrences. Now, the USS Cyclops' disappearance has generated a wide range of theories, which include weather-related hypotheses. Some experts believe that extreme weather conditions, such as a sudden and severe storm, could have caused the ship to founder. However, this theory has been challenged because no distress signals were sent and no wreckage was found. Another theory is structural failures. Some suggest 
vast structural issues such as a catastrophic mechanical failure or the shifting of the heavy ore cargo could have led to the ship's sinking. Another theory is enemy action. During World War I, it was speculated that the ship may have been targeted and sunk by a German U-boat. However, no definitive evidence has ever been found to support this theory. You know, again, no wreckage, no... Distress signal. Distress signal, no flotsam or yeah. jetsam, you know, and no records from the Germans. Oh, yeah, that's right. They were meticulous. Yes. You know, navies are meticulous about their logs and records. Oh, certainly, yes. Did you... Uh, yeah. You're right. I was thinking the sailors were meticulous. The Germans are also meticulous. Yeah. I can see the confusion. Another theory is methane hydrate explosions. Some have proposed that pockets of methane hydrate gas on the ocean floor could cause sudden and massive explosions, leading to the sinking of ships without a trace. But, you know, this theory is also just debated among experts. There's no evidence of it. Remember our episode where we talked about mines? And torpedoes and how devastating underwater explosions are? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, that's the theory. But an, like a naturally occurring one, that's wild. Yeah. Now, the last theory I have to put forth to you is alien abduction and paranormal activity. Now, this is not widely accepted, but some enthusiasts and conspiracy theorists have suggested more extraordinary explanations such as alien abductions or paranormal interventions. The little gray men got them. Huh. So. Well, I mean, when you eliminate everything, like the, when there's no evidence to support, like you said, no distress call, no flotsam or jetsam, no survivors, no, no wreckage, some of those explanations are starting to, will veer to the, the presumably less likely. Yeah. So... How would you like to dive a little bit deeper into the Flying Dutchman? Oh, I would love to. I've heard, I mean, it's legendary, right? Yes. So the story of the Flying Dutchman revolves around a ghost ship condemned to sail the oceans for all eternity. The vessel's captain, Hendrik von der Decken, was a stubborn and defiant sailor who, in the 17th century, sought to round the treacherous Cape of Good Hope in the face of a violent storm, as we said before. And this was despite the plea, the crew's pleas and warnings. Captain van der Decken swore an oath to the devil that he would succeed or sail forever. As the legend goes, the ship and its doomed crew were cursed to sail the seas forever, unable to make port. They were condemned to roam the oceans for eternity, never finding rest or release from their otherworldly fate. Now, the tale of the Flying Dutchman has had a profound impact on naval folklore and stories of ghostly encounters. The sightings of the Flying Dutchman was believed to be an ill omen among sailors, or encountering this ghost ship was often seen as a prelude to disaster or death. Its appearance foretold calamity or a cursed voyage, which further contributed to sailors' superstitions and fears. The Legend of the Flying Dutchman has also inspired countless works of literature, including the famous novella, The Flying Dutchman, by Richard Wagner, and as well as numerous adaptations in books, plays, and movies. The story's influence is evident in Richard Wagner's opera, The Flying Dutchman, where the doomed captain's story takes center stage. The Flying Dutchman has also been depicted in numerous paintings and artworks, 
further cementing its place in maritime culture and history. Its eerie appearance, often wreathed in ghostly mists and trailing tattered sails, continues to capture the imagination of artists. And lastly, the Flying Dutchman's legacy has transcended naval folk's lore and premeditated popular culture. And permeated, yeah, not premeditated, permeated, <laughs> <laughs> permeated popular culture. The concept of a cursed ship and its spectral crew has become a universal symbol of doom, foreboding, and the supernatural. It serves as a cautionary tale about the consequences of human pride and defiance in the face of the natural world. Yeah, that's a pretty good reminder, pretty good metaphor. Like, we, we should strive and try to do our best, but there, there is a... It doesn't take much to go from brave to... Yeah, that's, that's really... Ir not a bad, not a very good idea at all. It's, it's lunacy. That's what I'm, that's the word I'm looking for. So let's move on to the USS Constitution. You know, old Ironsides. Oh? Yeah. She is not only one of the oldest commissioned warships afloat, but also a symbol of American naval heritage and a testament to the strength and resilience of the United States Navy. The U.S.'s Constitution was one of six frigates authorized by the U.S. Congress in 1794 as a part of the Naval Act of 1794. Construction began in 1794 at the Edmund Hart Shipyard in Boston, Massachusetts. The ship was designed by Joshua Humphreys and was renowned for its size, speed, and formidable armament. She was launched on October 21, 1797, and it saw its first service in the Quasi-War with France during which it captured several French privateers. In, wow. in 1803, Captain Edward Preble took command, and the ship played a significant role in the First Barbary War, engaging the Barbary pirates. The most famous chapter in the Constitution's history came during the War of 1812. On August 19, 1812, the Constitution encountered the British frigate HMS Guerriere off the coast of Nova Scotia. During the battle, the Guerrier's cannonballs bounced harmlessly off the Constitution's hull, leading a sailor to exclaim, Huzzah! Her sides are made of iron! This event earned the ship its endearing nickname, Old Ironsides. The Constitution's impressive victories over the Guerrier, the HMS Java, and the HMS Cyan blustered American morale and demonstrated the Navy's capabilities. The ship's undefeated record during the War of 1812 solidified its legendary status. In the years following the War of 1812, the Constitution continued to serve the U.S. Navy. However, it was gradually retired from active service. By the mid-19th century, there were efforts to preserve the ship as a symbol of American naval history. In 1907, the Constitution was designated a museum ship and placed in dry dock at the Charleston Navy Yard in Boston, Massachusetts, where it remains to this day. Careful preservation and restoration work has ensured the ship's continued existence, making it one of the oldest commissioned warships still afloat. Now, the USS Constitution's legacy extends beyond its impressive combat record. It stands as a symbol of American naval heritage, endurance, and national pride. This ship has become an iconic representation of the U.S. Navy, its rich history, and the country itself. You can go see her today. She is open to the public as part of the USS Constitution Museum which educates visitors aboard the ship's history and its role in the early development of the U.S. Navy. The ship continues to be an active-duty vessel, participating in special events and ceremonies, and firing ceremonial salutes 
as it sails annually in Boston Harbor. So, Old Ironsides is not only a historic warship, but a living testament to American naval heritage. Nice. I had a friend that went to go visit that ship uh, several years ago, and he was commenting that they explain why the cannonballs bounced off harmlessly, and it was the type of wood that was used and the way it was put together. Um, when the shipwrights originally came to America, they were noticing, you know, giant trees everywhere, and the types of trees that they were 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 particularly resilient. Like they were able to experiment a lot and find a really good combination. And mm -hmm. the USS Constitution, I think, is three different types of wood layered. Uh, the whole thing was fascinating. But yeah. if you want to learn more, visit the ship in Boston and uh, learn all about it. Now, this wouldn't be a Halloween episode without the ghosts on the Constitution. Oh, I was wondering why you brought up that story, Chip. <laughs> I imagine it's been in service so long that it has, it has to have touched by the otherworldly spirits. Yeah. So, here are a few of the reported ghostly occurrences aboard her. Some sailors and visitors have reported hearing disembodied voices whispering in hushed tones throughout the ship, even when no one else is present. These voices are often described as indistant and eerie, leading an air of mystery to the vessel. There have been accounts of a phantom sailor dressed in 19th century attire spotted. This apparition is usually seen briefly and then disappears without a trace. While the identity of the ghostly sailor remains unknown, some speculate that he may be one of the Constitution's former crew members. You know, you just gave me a thought. Uh-oh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Who knows where we're going now? The dress of this ghost, typical... You said 19th century? Yeah. I should dress up, I think, more regularly because if I am to meet a fate where I die suddenly and I come back as a ghost, I have a feeling what I'm wearing will be what I'm wearing forever. And I don't want to be like in this ripped up jeans and like a Cypress Hill t-shirt and it's like, I have a feeling as a ghost I may not be taken seriously. So you want to go... Upscale. You know, if you can see a well-dressed ghost, you're going to listen to that ghost. Well, you heard it here first, folks. If we ever do a live show, he's going to dress in 19th century sailor attire. <laughs> okay. I, I can... I better start shopping. <laughs> that stuff's hard to come by. Visitors have reported hearing the sounds of cannonballs rolling on the ship's wooden decks, even when there are no apparent sources for the noise. Some have attributed these sounds to the residual echoes of past battles, as the Constitution's cannons once roared in combat. Witnesses have described seeing apparitions dressed in period clothing, reminiscent of the early 19th century. These sightings often occur in the ship's living quarters and on the gun deck, lending an eerie historical atmosphere to the vessel. Some visitors have reported encountering cold spots, even on warm days, in certain areas of the ship. These localized drops in temperature are sometimes associated with feelings of unease and an eerie presence. There have been accounts of objects such as ropes and tool moving on their own accord without any visible explanation. These experiences have left some to believe that the spirit of the former crew may be responsible. Many visitors have reported experiencing feelings of unease and a sense of being watched while on board the ship. These sensations often occur in confined or dimly lit areas of the Constitution, where sailors of the past would have carried out their duties. 
You know, I bet if you were a sailor in, I guess, early 1800s, even before the War of 1812, and they said, okay, we're assigning you to the USS Constitution, I would be head over heels happy, uh, given how, yeah, the reputation is just so, oh, great. Either they consider me such a fine sailor that I will help promote the health of and continue the streak of unbeaten in the field of conflict, you know, I appreciate that there's a haunted ship on every coast, you know, because not everybody can get to Boston. It could be far for a lot of folks, but then we've got one in California and then on the Gulf Coast in Corpus Christi. That's very sensible, I think. So, uh, listeners, thank you so much for listening to this very special episode. We hope you're enjoying what you're hearing. If you ever want to get in touch with us, it's very easy. There are multiple avenues. Uh, one, you can email us at usnavyhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter, or X, formerly known as Twitter, and our handle is at usnhistorypod. So you can tweet us there or post us there or whatever they call it nowadays. We also have a Discord server, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, to the uh, potential whistleblower of the, the Navy. So if that person wants to join or anybody else wants to join, you can find those details in the show notes. Uh, we're also on YouTube. You can listen to our dulcet tones on any audio medium app that you'd like. And YouTube is video, but they have, you know, we're there too with audio. Um, let me see if there's anything else. Rate us. Yes, rate us. The, the right number of stars is five. But if you have a justifiable something, you know, talk to us first. We'll hash it out, and then we can convince you that five is still the right choice. So please, uh, iTunes or your preferred podcast provider, give us rating, and we would appreciate it. Bye, everybody. U.S. Naval History Podcast, departing. Departing.